So my name is Craig. Welcome. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I have the joy of being on staff here at Riverside, and it is great to see all of you uh, this morning. It's great to see some of you back, that you've been away uh, for a few months, enjoying some good holiday time. I'm glad that you are here again, and we get to see you. Those of you joining us online, also welcome from, from my side, and also we just love having the kids this morning, so don't be put off by the kids in the room. So last week, we started a new series, and we started by posing the question, how many of you are feeling your life is getting more and more complicated? And the reality is, it is getting more and more complicated because of this reality that exists in all of us called the complexity bias. And this is something so interesting. The complexity bias says this, when we are faced with multiple options, we are always going to tend to choose the, op- the option that is more complicated, right? Think about something as simple as food, right? Food, we eat it. But how, we've just come through Christmas and New Year's, how many of you guys embarked on some elaborate recipes to try and put something really good on the table and the result was a lot of stress in the kitchen? Okay, there's a, a, a few smiles, right? It's just food and you cook it and you eat it, but... We go through periods where just something as simple as food induces some real stress in our lives. Think about diets. How many diets are there in the world? How many professors or experts give you keto and paleo and, 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 and? You know, intimate, but uh, can be really simple. Uh, and you've got to eat to your blood type and you've got to eat to your, this group and this age category. And, but it's food, Right? but we can make it very complicated, and we do this. It's called the complexity bias. We will always complicate our lives. We're always going to go to the more complicated option, and for some reason, we hate simplicity. We think there's something wrong with simplicity. Now, I realize that our jobs are complicated. Our marriages might have uh, seasons of complication or might be complicated right now. Depending on the age of your kids, parenting might be really complicated at the moment. Looking at your budget and trying to figure out how we're going to pay all the bills in the month might be really complicated sums, but the reality is when it comes to our faith, our faith does not have to be complicated. And all the truths that we see in Scripture lead us to having a really simple understanding of what it means to love and follow and serve Jesus. And so what we're doing over the next few weeks is reminding ourselves of some of the simple, easy wins in our faith, some of the truths that we can build our lives upon because serving Jesus, following Jesus, isn't like a university algebra sum. It is actually quite easy to grasp and learn and enjoy the faith and relationship that we have with our Savior. So we are going to be doing that again. And uh, this morning, I'm just going to warn you, it's a little bit scripture heavy as we're going to build the case for why this is so simple. And so the first passage we're going to look at uh, this morning is Deuteronomy 20 verses 1 to 4. So a little bit of context here. This is a time in God's, uh, with God's people where they uh, came out of slavery in Egypt And they were taken into entering into the promised land, all that God had promised them, but they didn't trust Him. And so as a result, they spent 
A, a generation had to die in the wilderness. And Deuteronomy and, uh, is with Joshua and the retelling of the law as they get ready to enter into the promised land. And so here's what they're encouraged to do in Deuteronomy 21 to 4. When you go to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Here, Israel, today you are going to battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. This was such an important truth for God's people. And the reminder for this generation was, how did you even get to this point? Because when you were slaves with nothing, God led you out of Egypt. And they're reminded about all of what that meant because there were horses and chariots that were bearing down on them. And the Lord got them through that to the point where they are now. And now they're needing to take conquest of a land. And the encouragement is, you're going to see armies? They're probably going to be bigger than you. But I am your God, and I go before you, and I fight on your behalf. And so this is a pattern that exists in the Old Testament. Now think about some of the big stories that um, are often taught in Sunday school. One of the really fun ones that they love teaching is, is the story about Jericho. Right? We know that story well. What happened there? There was an army, God's people get to the city, and how is that battle won? Singing, right? There's not much fighting, but there's a lot of uh, worship that takes place, and some musical instruments are played, and a wall uh, collapses. And I was thinking about this. You know how when people can sing at a certain pitch and it can shatter glass? I don't think that's how it worked, that they kind of found the pitch that kind of crumbles rock. No, this was the Lord was fighting for them. And the creator of everything did the fighting and won the battle. They were just trusting and worshiping their God who fought on their behalf. You move a little bit on in history, you've got a a book of the Bible called Judges. Judges is a very violent book in the Bible, but what happens is God's people often get besieged by other nations or other people, and God's Spirit comes upon some person and they are able to raise up and defend and fight for uh, God's people and experience incredible victories. Just think about Samson as an example, how God used him, empowered him by his presence, and the victory was always won. And so what you start to see is the pattern with God and his people is that when God is with them and God is for them, they never lost a battle, only in their disobedience. And only when God raised up the other army, God always caused the victory or always caused the loss and gave the nation the victory for his purposes. Again, 2 Chronicles 20 verse 15. Again, here, this is the prophet speaking. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. 
every time there is a conflict or armed conflict, uh, God's people are always reminded that who the battle belongs to. One of my favorite stories is 2 Kings chapter 6 with Elisha. And uh, the king uh, and the armies that were trying to defeat Israel kept on being thwarted because Elisha always knew the plans that were happening and they couldn't understand how they kept on losing. So they made a plan to isolate and take out Elisha. So they got the intel, they found the place where Elisha was staying, they went at night and surrounded the place where Elisha was staying. Elisha's servant gets up in the morning, he opens the curtains, and he sees that they are completely surrounded. And so here, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Okay, when you're surrounded by an army bent on your annihilation, you're probably going to say the same thing. Oh no, what are we going to do? And Elisha's response is amazing. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he's probably scratching his head because he cannot see anyone. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills filled with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And I just love this encounter because even here is just uh, Elisha and his servants. Here's this army of this king bent on their destruction, but Elisha knows something, and that's the Lord fights on behalf of his people. And he says, Lord, open his eyes, and you get to see the armies of the Lord. And what a wonderful wonderful story. And again, it just builds for us this um, understanding and the track record that God fights for His people, fights on behalf of His people, goes before His people, and every battle is the Lord's. And He proved it time and time again. It was for Him. It was for His glory. It was always for His purposes. And God's people were supposed to live without fear and not be afraid of what's around them because the battle was always the Lord's. And so it built this foundation for them. So Craig, what you're telling me is this, that my neighbor who mows his lawn at five o'clock in the morning, I can go and give him a spirit-filled punch because he's bigger than me and, and God's going to fight for me. No. Because when Jesus came and he brought in uh, the new kingdom. He brought in a new kingdom ethic. And so what we saw with Israel was a temporary kingdom being set up. And even in the temporary kingdom, he built a track record. He showed his character. He showed who he was, that he was a God who fights for us. But a very important shift takes place when it comes into the kingdom because Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so we don't uh, necessarily need to go and, and, and punch people and, and get into fights thinking God is going to uh, fight on our behalf. You might get a bit of a fright and get taught a lesson. But there is still God fighting on our behalf in 
the New Testament. And obviously we see that in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what he establishes in the Old Testament through military conquest, establishing the kingdom of Israel through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is setting up an eternal kingdom. And the fight on that behalf sets something up incredibly for us as we understand the full and complete victory of Jesus. Because in the Old Testament, with God physically fighting on behalf of his people and allowing God's people to win battle after battle after battle, it was still a fight and another fight and another fight. But what we see with Jesus and what we live with now is this permanent once and for all victory, but still built of the fact that we know what God has done for us and how he has fought on our behalf. And so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 50, he unpacks this for us. And he's giving some real encouragement to the church. And this is how he understands and teaches some of the implications of this victory. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpets. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable. And we will be changed, for the perishable must close itself, clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will um, become true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor with the Lord is not in vain. Now, I'm so glad that we can understand this victory. And I'm so glad that we are not uh, currently in armed conflict. We're not actually needing to think about physically fighting and engaging in that way. But again, understanding just what it means to be followers of Jesus and understand what the victory we have in him because he waged war against our greatest enemies. Because there isn't anything greater than, than sin, our shame, and death. And I love that song that we sing. It used the word smashed. And he smashed through the grave. And when we think about uh, the, the defenses of death in the grave, they could not hold him. And I love Matthew's account of the resurrection because there was so much power that came with Jesus rising himself from the dead that there was testimony of people seeing other dead people walking around the city because there was so much power that came with the victory of Jesus when he smashed through our greatest enemies being sin, shame, and death. And this is what Paul's talking about and this is the encouragement when he's thinking about this world and all that it comes with. He says there's going to be a time the twinkling of an eye, just a trumpet blast away when all that is perishable is going to be replaced with imperishable. And all that is mortal is going to be replaced with immortality. 
There's going to be this thing called the resurrection, and Jesus was the front runner of it. He did it in his own power. He defeated death. Um, uh, Aaron, he always gives me a hard time. So on Fridays, we eat burgers. Uh, it's burger night in our house, and uh, he gives me a hard time because of how fast I eat burgers. And the other night, we were eating a burger, and he watched and uh, how big a bite I took of, of this burger and swallowed up what was left of the hamburger and uh, he was commenting on, on, on how much I can swallow of the burger. And in 1 Corinthians uh, 50, 15 verse 58, uh, or it talks about, sorry, verse uh, 54, death being swallowed up in victory. Now what power exists in being able to swallow? I love just the, the, the mental image that it's creating in being able to swallow up death right? That is the power and the victory of Jesus, that he just, he swallowed up death. That's, that's what happened to it. Because when that all happens, and the perishable is replaced with the imperishable, and the mortal with the, the, the immortal, then we get to say the saying is true. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It's gone. No, it's swallowed up in Jesus. Why? Because we had someone who went there for us who went to where we could not go, who went to fight on our behalf, a fight we could not fight, and was victorious. So much so that it is completely defeated, swallowed up, gone, because he won. Now, this goes against what a lot of popular Christianity is teaching, right? So there's this idea and understanding that Everything in our lives has to be perfect. That you've got to live with a trending hashtag blessed. Your health has to be perfect. Your relationship has to be perfect. You've got to have a nice house, a good car, you know, a really healthy bank balance because you're supposed to be perfect as a Christian, right? Faith equals blessing. To follow Jesus, you've got to have this perfect altogether life. And we get taught and told, and social media puts out this understanding that our lives have to be perfect. Nothing can go wrong if you follow Jesus. And that uh, thinking undermines and devalues so many people's lived realities every single day. Think about Christians right now who are living in armed conflict. Think about the persecuted church and believers even on this continent who are hiding to do church for the fear of their very lives. Because when you think everything has to be great as a Christian, what about them? And what about believers who live in situations where there's no electricity and no running water? Because when we equate happiness or success to God, what about those people who don't have access to that? And this is where we complicate things. We think because things are bad, therefore God must not love me. Or I never, I'm not getting better. My health is, is staying in, in the situation and, and I'm not being healed. What is wrong with me? God, why are you punishing me? God, why do you hate me? God, the situation in my life is not changing. My family's not getting better. Things are staying so difficult. What is wrong with me or what is wrong with you? And we tend to equate success, happiness, blessing, 
with love and God's affirmation when that's not true. Because when we understand the complete victory of Jesus, that stuff doesn't matter. Because we don't have a clue what 2024 is going to throw at us. We've got a track record that we know that a global health pandemic can break out at any moment and derail all our plans. When that happens, does that mean God doesn't love me? When a healthy, obedient follower of Jesus gets the news that they've been diagnosed with cancer, does that all of a sudden mean God doesn't love them anymore? But this is where we complicate things. And what we do is we go, life is bad, I'm not loved. Life is bad or hard, God has forgotten about me. And this is what it says in 1 John 5 verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. See, all of the things that give us fear, stress, anxiety, hopelessness is of the world, right? Our job, our health, uh, earthly relationships, these things that we have often no control over. And they can come often out of nowhere, right? And it happens. A tire bursts on the highway. Car veers out of, the, out of control and, and can knock out an innocent family. It happens. It's devastating. But that's the world. But the victory of Jesus is I have overcome the world and everyone born of God overcomes the world. And so what the victory of Jesus means is it doesn't matter what happens in 2024. It doesn't matter what comes at me. It's of the world and I have the victory in Jesus so I overcome the world. Anything that can come at me to derail me is under the authority of my creator. And so cannot take what I have in Jesus away. Just let that kind of sink in for a bit. The victory of Jesus is so complete that there is nothing in existence that can take away what I have in Jesus. It doesn't exist. Because even if I die, this is perishable. And because I'm a follower of Jesus, this perishable body gets replaced with something that is imperishable. So what do I gain from death? I gain the imperishable. I gain the immortal. And this passes away. So the world comes at this. And eventually this body is going to decay. I, I, I'm, I'm getting older. I'm feeling the effects of that. But something's going to happen at some point unless... The return of Jesus comes before then, but it's going to be replaced with the immortal and the imperishable. So nothing the world can throw at me. No problem, nothing. No global health crisis, no financial crisis. Yes, it gets hard. Yeah, I'm going to maybe experience some difficulty and some pain, but can it defeat me? And the answer is no. Can something in this world overcome me? And the answer is no. Because for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Because the victory of Jesus is fully complete over everything that would derail me. 
I love this. The grave is empty, but the throne is occupied. Right? The grave is empty, and the throne is occupied. The empty grave is the victory over sin, shame, and death. And the throne is occupied because there sits the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the one who spoke everything into creation, and the world is his, and he's overcome the world, and because I'm part of him, and I'm born of God, I overcome the world. We look at the world, and then that's where our faith gets complicated. Because I look at my financial situation, and anxiety and fear grips my heart. I look at my health, and I go, I don't know what's going to happen. I am scared because I don't think I'm going to get better. And then we try to uh, fix that ourselves by trying to be the throne, or sit on the throne of our lives and try to fix all of these things and make plans and, and allow the world to dictate what's going on instead of giving all of that to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and going, this battle for my health, it's yours. I don't need to fear what's going to happen to my health. Because even if I die, and you wonder, and you've heard stories of Christians who, in the midst of incredible health and suffering, were able to worship God until their very last breath because they got this and they knew what was waiting on the other side. And when I look at my finances and, and I just think, how on earth? But then I, I look back and I go, but I actually am still here. And he's got me through. 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 And this is our rebuff against the world, is the victory of Jesus. Because again, out of nowhere, something can come and derail our lives. And we think we have it all together and then something happens and fear and anxiety and, and hopelessness comes back into our lives and, and our, there's nobody who can protect us from the things of this world. But our ability to stand firm against that and to rebuff all of that is Jesus has the complete victory. And this battle is his. And so this is where it's simple for us is I am going to not allow these things to dictate how I feel and how I think about the Lord. I stand in victory. Now again, this isn't some prosperity message where it's going to be okay. It might not be okay. Things might never get better in your life, but the ultimate victory is what happens when Jesus returns and how all things are made new. And because of that resurrection of Jesus, the temporary passes away and the eternal is coming. The perishable is replaced with the imperishable, which means this life is temporary. And so all of the things that weigh me down are temporary things of the world that he has overcome. And so I stand and can push back against those and I can stand secure, which is why we'll, we'll go back to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. Because there is nothing created that can move you, that can derail you because you've overcome it in Jesus. And in that, he has the victory. Bad, you can start coming back up and we're going to just uh, finish off with some ministry time around this. 
Verse 58 says, Let nothing move you, and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What a great encouragement that when we know the victory that we have and how we can stand firm knowing that we have overcome the world because he has overcome the world, my focus doesn't need to be consumed by the things that give me fear and anxiety and, and create a sense of hopelessness in my life. I get to stand firm on the promises of God and I live in his victory. And so my focus gets to be on just on living for him and serving him and seeking him. I love this image of we've entered the battle after the resurrection, knowing that he's coming back. And so our life has lived between the empty grave and the occupied throne. And so we live in victory. We get to operate out of victory. Doesn't mean things are going to be easy. But I can overcome because he has overcome. And so here's where I want you to make a stand this morning. Again, I don't know what your current battles are. I don't know the things that are giving you sleepless nights and are causing you to have chest pains and feeling like this world and our lives are hopeless. But I want to encourage you. That's where our faith gets complicated and we start to doubt what we have in Jesus is when we look at the problems of the world and not looking at the victory of Jesus and knowing and trusting what we have in him. Again, doesn't take them away. It gets us through us. He gets us through it. Doesn't go away, but we can stand firm against it and not be moved by it because of who he is. So the band's going to sing a song, and if you've been part of Riverside, you might know the song well. And the song sings, the battle belongs to the Lord. And so as the band is singing the song, I want to encourage you to think about the things that are weighing heavy on you, that you are trying to figure out, that you are doubting, that you're questioning, that, 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 that are the heavy things in your life. And at some point while they're singing, you make the decision in repentance saying, God, I'm sorry that I've allowed this to give me anxiety, that I've allowed this to cause me to doubt who you are. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to give the battle to you. So my health, come what may, it's yours. The battle for my health, I'm, I'm trusting you with that fight. My family, my, my relationship with my kids, I'm going to do everything I can to be a good parent and to create a good home but I'm giving that fight to you and I'm gonna, gonna hand that battle to you. Our finances, God, I'm gonna work hard at, at being disciplined and, and, and working hard on good spending habits. And, but the anxiety I'm giving to you, that fight I'm giving you to know that you hold my family in your hands, that I trust you with my family and I'm not gonna carry that weight the whole time. And if you need to do that by standing and worshiping and, and singing that as a declaration, then do that. But as, a, as an act of faith going, I'm born of God, so I've overcome the world. And so I'm going to make that stand and I'm going to make sure that the battle belongs 
to the Lord. So Jesus, as we're going to sing this as a faith declaration to you, God, we are so thankful that you have the victory. And all the things that give me anxiety, that give me fear, that cause me to feel hopeless about our situation, it's of the world, which you have overcome. And help me to live in your victory. Help me to hear those words and be able to stand firm that nothing can move me because I understand what I have in you. That's my identity. And I'm grateful for that. And so I want to praise you for the victory that you have given me. In your name, amen. And we sing that in faith this morning as we just surrender all of those things to you, God. That we trust that you are for us and you have overcome the world and so we have overcome the world. And so we can surrender our fear, our shame, our anxiety, our hopelessness, and replace it with a firm faith not being moved and laboring and laboring for you. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for your victory. In your holy name, amen.